This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. The story of Florence Chadwick has uh, been a subject of many sermons and many articles. A lot has been written about this remarkable uh, woman and uh, her achievements. So, for the lesson this morning, on hope, we will be borrowing again. From her life. Born on November 9, 1918, she, even as a young child, proved herself a remarkably strong swimmer. And as she grew into her adult life, she took on these challenge swims of distance. Early on the 4th of July, 1952, early that morning, she waded out into the cold waters of the Pacific Ocean from the beach at Catalina Island, a small island some 21 miles off the coast of California, and she was going to try to swim the entire 21 miles back to the mainland. Several boats accompanied her, some of which used rifles to drive away actual sharks in those waters. And while she was swimming, this dense fog rolled in. She could, so dense she could barely see her support boats that were with her, and certainly not the mainland. Her trainer and mother continued to encourage her on from one of these boats. But after nearly 16 hours of swimming, in the shark-infested and numbingly cold waters, she was exhausted and asked to be pulled out. Though she could not see it, she was less than a mile from the shore. She had swam over 20 miles of the 21-mile distance before giving up. Now, this was not, by any means, her first big challenge swim. Just two years prior, in 1950, she successfully swam across the English Channel and uh, a similar distance from, uh, from France to Dover, England. And it took her 13 hours and 20 minutes. And the very next year, she attempted to swim back the opposite direction, which was considerably more difficult because of the, the headwinds and the, the tidal currents um, that she would be fighting. But she completed it, swimming nearly 16 and a half hours to do so. So as incredibly far as she had swum this morning, uh, that Independence Day, it wasn't the distance. As chilling as the waters were, it wasn't the cold. It was the fog 
stopped her. She told a reporter, look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I think I could have made it. To be able to see that finish line, it makes a difference. I've been on, on water in the fog. It, it's, what's odd about it is that you lose your sense of movement. You can't tell whether you've gone forward or whether you've gone backward. The water and the fog, it all looks the same, whether you've moved or whether you haven't. And for her, not only could she not see the finish line, see her goal anymore, see that short, she couldn't even see that she was making any progress, that she was moving at all. It probably felt to her like she might be dog paddling in circles in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It wouldn't look any different. And she lost hope. Hope is looking forward to a desirable future. A future that you believe is actual, that is positive, it's a good thing, and looking forward to that to such a degree that it affects you positively now. That's what hope is. It affects you now in a way of, of giving you uh, joy, uh, a perseverance, a sense uh, of, of uh, fortitude and endurance. Resistance to discouragement. Remember Romans chapter 8. Hope that is not seen or hope that is not uh, possessed is not hope. Sorry. Hope that is seen or hope that is, that is had is not, is not hope. For, you don't, for why does one still hope for what he sees or for what he has? You don't still hope for something you, you already have because you have it. Hope is something that you don't have yet, but you're expecting. But if we hope for what we do not see, for what we don't have yet, we wait for it with eagerness and with perseverance. That's hope. Hope is that, that bright future that you tie your heart to. Florence Chadwick couldn't see herself making the shore anymore. She lost that vision of that future. All she could see was the cold water that faded forever into the gray fog. Don't think that hope isn't important. It's not some transient emotion. 1 Corinthians 13, and now abides these three, faith, hope, and love. Now Paul writes, the greatest of these is love, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't think that Paul has been saying that it's somehow discounting the importance of faith, right? Hope is right there with those three. All three of those are vital. 
Paul's prayed specifically for hope in the church. Ephesians 1. I pray, Paul writes, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Paul wants them to know this future that they have. And what is this future? The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He says, you have got a glorious inheritance of the riches of God. That is your future. He wants them to know about this amazing future, about what's waiting for them, about what's waiting for us. waiting for us on the shore, across the finish line, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Now, a particularly stern person uh, might press upon us that we live in obedience just because we're supposed to. And that's all the reason we need. And maybe so, I, I, I don't know. But it's not all the reason God wants us to have For I know the plans for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God wants us to, to know about this incredible future so that it affects us now. Not that we're living out our lives solely out of duty, but out of also expectation something wonderful, something amazing, something we can look forward to with eagerness and perseverance. Jesus said, just before he was uh, going to be arrested and then crucified, he said a lot of things. You can read about those in John chapter 14, which is where this comes from. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I am coming to get you and take you back with me, that where I am, you may be also. I just want to pause right there. Right? Just think about that. That where Jesus is, in heaven, that's where he wants to bring us to. That he is preparing a place for us. That is our future. It doesn't matter what happens today or tomorrow. Across the finish line is that. He begins that with let not your hearts be troubled. Don't you do it. 
He knows they've got some rough days coming up, doesn't he? He knows. The shepherd, I will strike the shepherd and the, the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's coming. Jesus is preparing them. So don't let your hearts be troubled. There will be bitter times and disappointments where, we're, where it feels like we're treading water in a fog. We can't see that we're making any progress. But the Lord has given us a hope, a living hope in Jesus his resurrection. Luke chapter 24. Now behold, two of them, these are followers of Jesus, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. The road to Emmaus. We all know this one. This is Resurrection Sunday. At least that's what we call it. <laughs> We call it Resurrection Sunday, but to them it wasn't Resurrection Sunday yet, right? They didn't realize that. They're still reeling from the crushing blow of the crucifixion. And they're on their way back to this village, I guess, where they live, and, and called Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned, reasoned that Jesus himself. That's just drew near and went with them. That's, that just almost gives me chills right there. They're, they're talking. And who shows up? Jesus himself. And joins them on this road to Emmaus. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not recognize Jesus. And Jesus asked them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to Jesus, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that doesn't, that doesn't know the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus said to him, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. They were hoping. And things didn't go according to what they, ex they expected, did they? They had gotten their hopes up. They probably even started to think about how things were going to play out. Maybe even how the Romans were going to lose control of Jerusalem or something. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. But they had gotten their hopes up, right, in Jesus.
when they started to imagine what the, what the future there was going to look like. I mean, we know that the others did that too, right? I mean, James and John and their mom, and they asked Jesus for those, those seats of prominence, right? Right and left hand. And, and the rest argued too about which one was, was greatest and, and probably some like organizational chart hierarchy. You know, it's just the, who's, you know, going to be the generals, the lieutenants, stuff. And who knows what, you know, it's like, I, I, I see that, I read that, and I think it's, that sounds like what, what maybe my kids might be talking about, you know. <laughs> I just, uh, gotta shake my head and laugh. Yeah, none of that. There was their version of, of the future. The point here is, is that it was the version of the future that they were painting. They painted that vision of the future. But whatever specifically they had hoped for, it only took a day to wipe it all out. And it had been building, building, big deal, and then get it all wiped out. Boy. That would have to be hard. And now they were envisioning a completely different future. Not a hopeful one, though, a fearful one. The apostles, too. I mean, where are they right now, right? They're back in Jerusalem, hiding in a room with the door locked. Because they're afraid. Right? They'd probably like to even be out of Jerusalem. But in order to do that, they got to go out through those guarded gates. Right? I mean, that's why they have the wall and the gates, Lula. They can control who goes in and out. They don't want to get arrested too, maybe executed. So they're locked in a room. Nobody sees them. Their hope is gone. Fear and sadness is set in, in its place. So they continue. Indeed, besides all this, they, they say to Jesus, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, but him they did not see. And what's so delicious about this is they don't realize they're seeing him right now, right? They're talking to the ones that, you know, that they didn't see him. But Jesus is right here. You're talking to them. Jesus has restrained their eyes so they don't recognize him. He is, he is delaying them from recognizing him. Right? He's doing it on purpose. Why? Why not just say, hey, here I am. Oh, all right. But he delays. He's putting their hope back into their hearts, but not with what they see. He first builds it up and stirs it up through the scripture. to cause them to refine their hope in God's word 
So notice in the following verses the importance that Jesus puts on Scripture and on us believing in it. Verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Shouldn't this have happened this way, he said? See, that's what, they, there is, a, there is a, a difference between what the scriptures had laid out for the Christ and what they had painted for the future of the Christ, wasn't it? Those aren't the same futures. They had painted the one. And Jesus is pulling them back over. No, that's, isn't, isn't this the way it's always been? Let's go back and look at the, let's go back and look into God's word and see what he said. And so, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's easy for us to have this division of, of, of what we think our future is going to look like. And to tell you the truth, we're terrible about at predicting the future, aren't we? Anybody here is real good at predicting the future? Raise your hand, and I want to talk to you after we're done here. <laughs> right? Um, but we're, we're just not good. Maybe, maybe we should just, you know, not try so much to paint these uh, futures. Sometimes we, we paint these really rosy futures, right? Oh, this is, and then things come up. And, and our hopes get dashed, and because that rosy future that we had painted, well, that, that was never gonna, that was just never meant to be. But sometimes we do the opposite, though, don't we? Sometimes we, we, we get fixated on the, on, the, on the fog and the problems of life all surrounding us, and we, we just, we can't see that there's any way out of our problems, and so our our, the picture that we paint is, is dire, and we despair, hopeless. And Jesus says, let's, let's, let's put down your paintbrushes, and let's look at what God said. 1 Peter 4 says, Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, as though this is weird. But instead, rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, it's talking about a future. You may also be glad with exceeding joy. Look into the future that God has set up. That's not just an imagination. It's real. It's more real than that shoreline was that Chadwick was swimming towards, though she could not see it. It is solid. 
So, back on the road to Emmaus. Then they drew near to the village. And while they, where, they, where they were going, and Jesus indicated that he would have gone on farther. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us. Wow, they didn't know who they were talking to, did they? But yes, abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the, the day is far spent, right? It, it's, it's, it's late. Let's get something to eat. You know, it's not safe to be traveling at night, right? And so he went in to stay with them. And I love that right there. They invited Jesus into their house, and he went in. That's just wonderful, just on the side there. That's bonus. Now it came to pass, as Jesus sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. So I want you to think of this image that, uh, that he's, he's breaking this bread. Right? Jesus has got, and he blesses it, and then he gives them this bread. And when he does, it's after that moment, their eyes are opened, and they recognize Jesus. Okay, I, I would love to see the look on their faces, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to have been there? Be like, okay, wait for it, comes the bread. Right? We've read about this, we know what's going to happen. Now, just like, oh. And he vanishes from their sight. I don't know what that looked like. Was it just like, and he's gone? Was there like a bush from the air rushing in to fill the vacuum? You know, what are the specifics on that? I don't know. But the important part is they turned to one another and they said, did our heart not burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? He stirred up their hopes with the scriptures, reminding them what the future was really always going to be. And that God had been in control this whole time. The whole time. Nothing's been going wrong. They thought, this is all going wrong. No, it's all going right. I think after giving them a full meal of scripture, to stir up that hope, to kindle that fire in their hearts. Then he sits down and says, let me show you what I just did. He says, I fed you. You see that? I'm giving you something to eat, to fill yourselves with. And that's, then that's when he leaves them. On that note, I fed you. And maybe all of this sort of starts re-clicking. You know, with the followers, it's like the, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, and, and, you know, warning against the leaven of the Pharisees. This, this idea of feeding from Jesus. And Jesus even said, hey, so it's only these followers that you're following me because you're filled with the loaves I'm feeding you with. Right? He said, I want you to, like, I want you to think about that. I'm filling you. And that's why you're following me. And nothing has changed about that. Follow Jesus. Because he fills us. Life is a way of running us down and wearing us out. 
It gets in our head and plays mind games with us. But the Lord's word, his promise of salvation and eternal life with him. Remember the riches of his glorious inheritance, right? Remember that? That promise of his salvation. That's what we're looking to. We, this, it's just across the finish line. Glorious inheritance. God's riches. Wow. The truth of that future. Found in God's word. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, I think that's praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Soak in them. Fill your bellies with it. Take your time chewing on it. Sit there and digest it. It's this hope that it, it protects us from this, this psychological warfare that the devil plays with us, right? He likes to get into our heads in mind games. He wants to obscure that finish line. That shoreline. Surround us with that fog. We can't see anything. But that hope, it protects us. It, it goes on and it, it shields our minds. It shields our heads like, like, like a helmet of salvation. Now you knew I was going there, right? Of course. Right. Yes. It builds up our hope. It revitalizes us. It re-energizes us. Let's see what it did to them. Let's see if it revitalized and re-energized them. Jesus banishes, right? Then our hearts not burn within us. So they decided, they saw it was getting late. They thought, okay, we're going to go to bed. We're going to get up first thing in the morning. No. <laughs> no. They rose up right then that very hour, and returned back to Jerusalem. It's like, wait, guys, you just said earlier, it's like, oh, it's getting late. You know, it's not, it's, not, it's not time to be traveling. It's not safe to be out on the road. Whatever reason it was to not be out on the road, they're not stopping them now, is it? All the reasons that, that said, okay, it's not good to be traveling. They're not stopping them from traveling now. It's even later. They got seven miles to go back to Jerusalem. But the hope has re-energized them. And they're not seeing obstacles now. So they marched right into Jerusalem. Double time in it, I'm guessing. Maybe jogging the whole seven miles. I don't know, but there's Samuel's eyes. They're terribly uncomfortable. But that's what hope does. And they, get, they make it back there. And they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together. Right? Saying, the Lord is risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things which had happened on the road. And how he was revealed to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst. 
So now Jesus shows up. I, I don't know, you know, how that works, right? Jesus showed up and said to them, peace to you. Now, despite that, they're still terrified and frightened, which, you know, is just the way things go. It's like angels show up, peace, peace, you know, and they're like, ah! It's like, no, I'm saying peace. So Jesus shows up, peace. And they're, they're terrified and frightened. Suppose they'd seen a ghost, and he said to them, and so what he says to them, first thing he asks them, the question, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why? Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Did I not tell you, let not your hearts be troubled? <laughs> Just, just three days ago. No, no, he doesn't shake the finger at him, does he? But he did just tell them, didn't he? He did just tell them, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me also. They lost it. They lost that hope. And he shows up again and says, why? Why have you lost it? That's because we saw all this stuff. We... The whole land. He, he, he convinces them that he's not a ghost, right? He's flesh and blood and eats stuff in front of him. And he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. He reminds them, I told you about this. The words that I spoke to you. Let's go back to what God is telling us. Those words. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. He's pointing them back. Down your paintbrushes. You're not painting the future. Let's see what God has done. Go back to that. And he said to them, Thus it was written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the third, rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. This is the promise, the remission of sins, this future, this hope. And I'm sending that on you. And then, he tells, then he pulls the reins back a little bit. So I'm like, whoa, whoa there now. Carry the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Oh. This is the ultimate comeback story, right? Just when you think that it's all over. No. All has been won. What we thought, or what they thought, was ultimate loss was ultimate victory. 
He just didn't see it. They had put too much on their own plans for the future, not on what God's plans from the scriptures were. And he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem. Almost goes without saying, doesn't it? With great joy. And were continually, not in the, locked in their little rooms, hiding. No, they were continually in the temple, in the public area, praising and blessing God. Amen. next thing that Luke writes will be Acts. What a tale that is. We're still here, right? This is the same story. It just continues on. We're, the, we're just the current chapter. That future is no less. In fact, it's all the more closer now. They got their hope back. Jesus taught them the scriptures that he was, that was told to them from the beginning. That despite their disappointment, nothing had actually gone wrong. Romans 15, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide we might have hope. Similarly in Hebrews, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, which witnesses? The ones he just listed from the scriptures. Since we're surrounded by those, you know, fill your minds with these examples of, of great warriors in the faith. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking, looking at your own feet? No, look, look, just, no, but we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Not that the cross was the joy part, right? It was what was after the cross, the joy that was set before him after that across the finish line. And he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. Consider. Think about this. Consider him who endured, endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Because we can become weary and discouraged, can't we? We can. Just like Florence Chadwick, we can let those concerns of this world cloud our vision and choke out our hope. But Florence Chadwick didn't give up there. No, nope. only 11 weeks after that failed attempt, she was ready to try again. So on September 22nd, 1952, she again waded out into those chilling waters and began swimming to the mainland. And again, a thick 
fog rolled in. But this time, she said she kept a mental image of the shoreline in her mind. So even though she couldn't see land, she pressed toward that vision that she had locked in her mind. And in only 13 hours, 45 minutes and 32 seconds, she made it and became the first woman to ever make that swim and beat the best time of a man by a whopping two hours, becoming the fastest person ever to make that Catalina Channel swim. Therefore, 1 Peter chapter 1, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. That's setting your hope. It means like setting it down and not moving it, right? Leave it there. You're setting it like in concrete, right? I like concrete. <laughs> I like, it has a sort of sense of permanence about it. Set your hope there in concrete. On the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. At his coming, that, that's going to be a big deal, right? He's coming with all the angels. It's going to be a big event. You should be there. You should totally go. <laughs> you won't get a choice. <laughs> you are, you're, all the other stuff, it's going to immediately just not matter. It's just immediately going to not matter. The bills, they're gone. The cancer is gone. The, you know... Whatever, it's gone. And we are set forever. And the angels, it's going to be a big show. It's going to be awesome. That's the future. We need to lock that, set it, set our, our hope on that. Lock it by an image in our minds. Think on it. That's the finish line. And we keep going. Other things are going to come, on, come up. Fog's going to roll in and obscure. But we keep that helmet of salvation on so that we can stay fixed on the goal. And we can live out joyfully through there. One last thing. I'll leave you with this. The world is desperately looking for hope. There's a big market for it. It's worth billions. A lot of people pay good money for it. All kinds of different ways. Lottery tickets. What do you think those are? Just hope. It's just a little stub of cardboard. That means hope for some people, for a lot of people. It says that at least there is a chance. Doesn't matter how small and how nigh impossible it is, but at least there's a chance. That's a little bit of hope. 
helps get them through the day, to the next weekend or the next month, the next lotto drawing, when they can buy another ticket or do their hope all over again. There's a lot of things to put your hope in. We were called to a single hope. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. Ephesians 4. Those riches, those riches of his glorious inheritance. You know, there's this economic principle. I actually liked economics when I was in, in school. It was really fascinating. Um, but this economic principle is that when people sincerely expect an increased income, so if, if you tell people they're going to get a bonus, they look to spend it now. Anytime a, a, a group of people expect an increase in income, they will look to start spending it now because of that, that expectation. It's a future that they put their hope in. Romans 12, be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. Start spending the promise of that salvation now. Live it out. There's a lot of things that we don't have to do anymore from the, from the old law, right? That was nailed to the cross. The food laws and all these different sacrifice combinations and things. We don't we don't, we don't have those laws now. But we do have this one. Be joyful in hope. You see how much better that one is than those old ones? Pharisees are very careful to observe a lot of those old ones. Let's be careful to observe, to observe this one. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to the reason for the hope you have. If you live out that joyful hope, being patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, people notice. Spend that promise of salvation now. Let it affect you today. People will notice. They'll ask. Now you've got something to tell them. If today you don't think you have that hope and you want to be baptized into Christ, then now is the time to come forward. If you need the prayers of the church, that's what we're here for. Let the body of Christ surround you in prayers. That's what we do. That's what we do here. We're just a family. We haven't got it all figured out. Don't think you're the only one. We're all of us here because we need Jesus, because we don't have it all figured out. So, let's rise and be singing. You can come.
We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.